3: You are listening to Myst Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Myst Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to
2: rumpus. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going well. I've thoroughly enjoyed reviewing the relevant regulations for today's topics. I was tempted to go right. Let's do a, a
3: mid-season review. Let's start at the bottom and let's talk about Haas's performance and Alpha Tauri and Williams in order. I don't know. I, I didn't feel like that was the way to go. We might do that later in the summer break. However, there's a lot of news and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of kind of current events that I wanted to dive into. Plus, we have a, a specialist topic and a special bonus section at the end of the show as well.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's almost, like, uh, would benefit from a quiz show kind of format, where each panelist gets a team, picks a score, and the other ones just have a straight go at them. So pick a team. You and me are team captains. Who would you pick first from the Missed Apex crew
3: in the in the quiz?
0: Ooh, um... Bagsy Kyle. Yeah, i to pick if, Sean
3: if, Kelly. If you're going to hesitate, I'm picking Kyle, because he wins all of them. I'm picking Sean Kelly. I definitely wouldn't pick Chris Stevens. Hello, Chris. How's it going? Mm. <laughs> Why wouldn't well you? You've done worse than me and Matt on all the quizzes.
0: That's just not true at all. I'm pretty sure I've beaten you in every single quiz we've ever uh, done. That's, that is and possible.
3: And that is why I wanted to be the quiz master so that my ignorance yeah. in F1 knowledge isn't exposed consistently. But Catman, he, I swear, he picks out the questions. He knows me. He knows what I'll get wrong. And he's out to humiliate me.
0: I mean, I'll dig out those episodes just for evidence.
3: They've been deleted forever, just (laughs) like anything else that ever looks bad. But let's remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. The panel isn't complete. There's one person left to come. Can you believe it that sometimes... We are accused of being a hamfosi podcast. Can you you believe it? A British podcast
2: supporting Lewis Hamilton generally, Matt? Insane. I mean, just because literally every panelist on the show has said they are a fan of Hamilton, why would they think that? I just do
3: not understand. It is unlucky that the panelists that seem to be more openly available are the Lewis Hamilton fans, so we do tend to get, you know, me... Yourself probably and Kyle on quite a lot. Uh, Van Jean as well is. Uh, I said Alex. Uh, Van Jean is a big Hamilton fan. Kyle isn't. Definitely isn't. Uh, and Brad is annoyingly neutral. But I can see why people think that we might be a, a Hamilton-based podcast. Even though I'm quite proud of how international we are. Uh, you've got an American Land podcast person. We had a Dutch. We've got a Dutch guy Jules, but he turned out to be a Hamilton fan. So that was useless in the end. We've got people from from Denmark, from Australia, Brazil we've had on. So a truly international panel. But what we were lacking was probably a real insight into the deep, dark heart of the Max Fossey. So I reached out across the channel all the way to the Netherlands to a podcast called Race Reporter. And I'm really, really pleased to be joined by Lucas Dagen. Hello, Lucas. How are you? Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You are the host of race reporter at race reporter nl on twitter and uh, jules recommended you to to us and he said that you were kind of like our equivalent in the netherlands which is that you try to be balanced but there might just be just a smidge just a smidge of a max verstappen bias <laughs> a, little, little bit. Yeah, a little a little bit yeah <laughs> a little bit and i believe you were actually the first dutch f1
4: podcast yeah we started in two thousand seventeen. Uh, you can see it on a Twitter account. The Twitter account was created in 2016. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And
3: uh, at that time, was that because you had this rising young star coming into F1? When did Verstappen start in F- Formula 1? 2015. Ah, uh, 2015. And did
4: he yeah. bring like a wave of new fans? Yes, of course. After Jos Verstappen, uh, it kind of fell asleep. But the, the real Formula 1 fans were still there. But now uh, we're going to talk about that later. Now the the, the Max Verstappen, the uh, uh, Orange J- Army is there. Yeah. So it, it's really, it really grew, yeah.
3: It, yes. And um, of course, there is a great deal of motorsport her- heritage in the Netherlands. But like in the UK, when Lewis Hamilton burst onto the scene in Formula One, he did bring a lot of new people into the sport. There was a superstar quality. I think a lot of people like looked at him and related to him as well. And so there was a big rush of Lewis Hamilton fans that with all the best intention in the world, possibly didn't have, you know, a historic view of of F1, couldn't point to recent incidents, were very much in it for Lewis Hamilton as much as the sport. And and, and I, I, I honestly feel some people will argue with me. I honestly feel like the Hamilton fan base has calmed down from those days. And I think people who disagree with that just aren't remembering how bad it was <laughs> before. But is it fair to say that you've, you, there's, there's been a rush of Dutch fans who have come in just for Max?
4: Yes, of course, yes. And there are a lot of fans who don't know anything about Formula One. Actually, they didn't really think that that it's football because they always keep saying, asking me why doesn't he go to Mercedes? And I always say it's not like football where you are a good player, you just go to Barcelona because they have eleven players and a Formula one team doesn't have 11 drivers
2: well and at this point he has like what a five or six year contract i mean he's saying quite a big lengthy deal but i, I think spanner's point is well taken you know a lot of the people who were classified as quote-unquote ham now were fans when he first came into the sport and many probably came with him over the years as their knowledge increased and they got the opportunity to know other drivers naturally you're going to be taken a little bit different view of things i would think So, so how did you
3: find it especially like the difference between max verstappen as your your rising dutch star getting race wins Getting that move to Red Bull. And didn't he win the very first race with Red yes. Bull? Wasn't it Barcelona, Barcelona? May
4: 15, May oh, okay. uh, 15, <laughs> okay. May 15.
3: Yes. Okay, you've got a tattoo. I'm taking you've got a tattoo of that first <laughs> race win. His overtaking move on Kimi Raikkonen in the Ferrari, I believe, for the race win. Was that?
4: No, it was not. It oh. was not an overtaking. The two Mercedes collided in the oh, first, right. first lap. I see. But this year has been very different because he
3: is genuinely fighting for the title and was leading the championship for, for a long time. And I think a lot of people in the F1 community have suddenly had this orange wave, this orange flood pour over them. And at first I kind of I took it personally. There was a lot of very Dutch sounding names in our chat rooms and our emails and DMs and stuff. And I spoke to other content creators, especially in the UK, and they had said they were experiencing something very similar. And as I was discussing to you before, Lucas, I just think there is uh, a different tone with the, the Dutch fans that has surprised a lot of the existing F1 fans. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but a lot of like F1 content creators have gone, oh, oh, blimey.
4: Yeah. I actually must commit, uh, admit I sometimes feel ashamed to be Dutch because of a few uh, Dutch fans a minority that yeah. are very aggressive. And uh, we have discussed it in our podcast. And uh, it's very nice to see the Dutch army on television and everything is orange. But uh, two years ago I went to Silverstone and I was amazed by how many different fans are there, Ferrari fans. there. it's, it's just a really good uh, audience. And um, well, what I said before, a lot of, a lot of Max Verstappen fans, I'm not saying all of them, but they, they just don't know anything about the Formula One and the character of Formula One. And that's just, uh, sit next to each other and enjoy Formula One.
3: But but that will change over time, I'm sure. If there are people who Max Verstappen has brought into the sport just to support him, in five years' time, those will be well-informed, seasoned Formula One fans. So <laughs> the net effect is still good. Verstappen's still bringing new F1 fans in. There's a star yeah. p- appeal. There's a star power.
4: I, I I hear a lot of these stories that there's a lot of ag- aggressive uh, behavior. Chris?
0: One thing that I really like about the fandom in the UK, especially, uh, like you said, Lucas, you look into the stands, you have Norris fans, you have Williams fans, you have uh, Ferrari fans, and they'll all you know, happily sit next to each other yeah. and uh, have a have a good time together. You can talk to any Formula One fan, regardless of who they support and get along with it. It's just the complete opposite of football, for example, and yep. I really am not a fan of football hooliganism and the yes, again, minority of fans. And I, I worry that this is what formula one is kind of roughly turning into. There well, are still like one or two spots, like at Monza. If you go to Monza in a Mercedes shirt, you're just looking for a fight.
4: It's a, uh, it's, it's spot on what you said. I don't hope that I, I that we ever have on Twitter, a hashtag called formula one. Um uh, uh, who, what what did you call hooligans? Hooligans, Hooligan Formula yeah. One hooligans. I, that's, I, don't, I don't know. I, I hope we're never going to say that. So uh, Jules was, uh, was saying to us
3: that there was a, a soccer fan mentality that had come over. And, and English people should not feel in any way smug or superior about that. Because if we had our soccer mentality in our fans in F1, that would certainly be an issue. Chris, you know, we cannot sit here on a pedestal and say, oh, English sports fans are always so well behaved. Not everything is cricket.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, the the UEFA Cup proved that massively. Uh, And um, I, I can't help but think, what if we'd have done this podcast back in 2008 or 2009, for example, would we be dealing with the same thing with the Lewis fans, for example.
3: And this is exactly the point I was trying to make early on, which is Lewis Hamilton did bring a lot of new fans in. And I, I definitely, I remember, Matt, you were writing uh, early in the uh, the late noughties and early teens uh, yeah. for, for a site. And the, we had problems in that forum when I was joining it in 2012, 2013, with a lot of rabid Lewis Hamilton fans as well.
2: Yeah, we did. I mean, I think part of that is just the natural evolution of the fan. Some people show up just for the driver for country purposes. They're brought in from other sports. And once that driver moves on or once the other people around them move on, they get bored and they go away. But then other people become fans of the sport itself and they become, well, I mean, I'll use the word assimilated for lack of a better verb that comes to my mind right now but they become a larger part of the sport. And then they carry on and help grow the fan base, which at the end of the day, Formula One needs new fans. It needs eyeballs on screens. It needs people in paddocks in order to continue to exist. So it's definitely in our interest to make this work out for everybody.
0: It's worth saying as well, there is no shame in arriving to the sport and supporting your countrymen. I know when I started watching Formula One, we had Jensen and Lewis, two British drivers at McLaren, a British team. That was unbelievable and a a huge draw for a lot of people. Matt, I know you're a a keen eye on uh, Logan Sargent in Formula Three because he is American. For example, Steve's always asking me about Oscar Piastri in Formula 2, for example, as well. So there is no shame in it at all. And I always like to think, you know, we we always welcome the new fans. But you have to accept that they may not be yeah. the greatest sportsman in the world just because they are where you are from. And uh, you hang on, hang
3: on a second. Them. Hang on yeah, a second. Please. We need to go to Lucas for that. Is, does anyone in Holland accept... That Max Verstappen, that there is even a small chance that he isn't basically a living embodiment of F one itself. Like there is like proper deity status for Verstappen. I'm, I'm loving it. I love the passion, uh, but it, it's crazy
4: mad. I, I the only thing I can answer is I I'm a fan of him because the way he drives, and not because he's Dutch. I I I started watching Formula One in 1992 because of Nigel Mansell. I loved his, his driving just trying to yeah, overtake man. where on places where you just cannot overtake the real then, red five then i became yeah the red five then i became a fan of jean alesi and then when nigel Mansell went to indycar uh i fell in love with jacques villeneuve and then when he came to formula one i watched him him drive then i started uh looking at montoya and sato then i got bored and then uh, a guy called max Verstappen came around. So I'm a fan of his way of driving and not because he's Dutch. Fair enough. But since you are
3: a Max Verstappen fan, that means I'd, I don't i do not have to pretend anymore, Lucas. We're about to have a discussion. We've got loads of stuff coming up that isn't Max and, and Lewis Hamilton. Let me give you an example. We want to talk about some of the changes coming up at Spa. We want to talk about the discussion with crash damage. Interesting that we were talking about that with Matthew Carter and then the team's are now bringing that up as well. We want to talk about Ocon, talking about his experience up at the front versus the midfield. A little bit of T-shirt chat, some Honda some Honda versus Mercedes engine chat as well, and some silly season stuff as well, which would be fun. But since Lucas is here, we can now talk about who is doing better this season, Lewis Hamilton or, or Max Verstappen. Let this be war, because I assume you think that, that your man has... The measure of the season so far. Better at what? Driving F1 cars, Lucas. That's the. <laughs>
4: no, I know what you mean. I this this is a this it's a hard question. Um, I don't think I'm going to answer that one. <laughs> oh, okay, well let's let's. <laughs> no, break... it's just I just want to see a battle. I just I I, I just of course I want to be Max to be world champion because since 1985 we have the first Formula One race in, in at Zandvoort. So, of course, we we want, but, but what I really want is a good fight that's more important. And, of course, I want him to be champion.
3: Okay, well, put it this way, Lucas. Have you seen a good fight so far this season? Yes, of course. It's been amazing, I, hasn't it? Yeah.
4: The, uh, the first lap at Silverstone was fantastic.
3: So, the first lap at Silverstone, before the event, we actually got to see some really amazing racing between those two guys. Like, going down the Wellington Strait into uh, Brooklyn towards Luffield, the way Hamilton attacked on the outside was just, it was supreme. And that was Lewis Hamilton showing what he does best, getting on those brakes, getting the advantage uh, around the outside where you shouldn't really be be able to pass. Of course, Luffield is coming up. But then Max Verstappen just being unyielding, knowing exactly to the inch where the rear of his car is and just showing him the gearbox, shutting the door on the exit of, of Luffield.
4: There's very few racers who could just go wheel to wheel like that. it reminds me of Senna and Prost in 1993.
0: If I were to go back and compare to what I think a lot of us would regard as the greatest season of Formula 1, 2012, for example, just because of the, the sheer quality of the racing, seven different winners in the first seven races, et cetera, et cetera. We had a great title fight between Vettel and Alonso, but we very rarely actually saw them wheel to wheel on track together. And this season, we have been treated to that the vast majority of races, and that is a rare treat. And I gotta say, I'm absolutely just lapping it up at the moment. And we have seen Lewis come off best. We've seen Max come off best. We've seen them push the limit. We've seen them both go <laughs> over the limit. Yeah. And the question is, where you know, where do they go from there?
3: Okay. I mean, we don't want to go over the event too much, but no, my opening not. comment, Lucas, during our race review after Silverstone my opening comment that everyone yelled at me for was that both drivers fully consented to that crash like they they both know that in that position there is a chance there's going to be a crash and it would be awfully lovely if the other guy just went ahead and backed out because i'm being so lovely and aggressive and it and it ended up in in contact what was what was your reaction and what was the reaction of your your listenership after that event
4: uh, a, a lot of things a lot of emotions of course i was very mad <laughs> right um, and I thought it was very dangerous, and um, well, <laughs> I'm not going into too much detail. No, it's okay, but um, we discussed it in our podcast, and I always say in our podcast, like, please have your own opinion. So we had we had uh, uh, a lot of disagreements, and we talked about it a lot, and then we said, okay, well, he got he got a punishment from the FIA, so uh, they said it was wrong, and it was Lewis' fault. Actually, mostly. yeah, yeah, it was just um, actually maybe that's a completely different discussion, and I'm not asking for a question. But if you if 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 you driver if, if you crash into the the leader in a championship, and after that you still win the race, that was my mm. discussion. I, I, no, I was, no,
3: and it must completely hurt. Matt made a really interesting comment earlier, which said the only what was it the only blame is if you. Don't come out ahead or something weird like that. The
2: Only error is losing.
3: The only error is losing, and so for Hamilton, it's much easier. And for Hamilton fans, it's much easier because he came out with a points advantage. for For Verstappen fans, you go well. No matter, it's hard to see, perhaps you know that out and out fight when your guy is in the barrier and when he's lost all those points. Yes. Matt.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's cold comfort when the best you can point to is a steward's decision that says the predominant fault belonged with Hamilton. You know, when when you're giving up a thirty point lead in a championship. So
3: really, my my main aim of that wasn't just to churn up her and to churn up discussion. Please, we've had enough in the YouTube comments about yeah. that. The the main thing was really that 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 incident I felt was inevitable. And earlier today, we were going through with our patron Slack group and trying to piece together all the times they had wheel-to-wheel contact, uh, uh, combat, and all the times that the drivers made error. But we have been really treated here because we had uh, Imola, where they were battling at at lap one. True, Uh, in the rain. In in the rain. Was that in the rain in Imola? Oh, yes, of course it was, yeah, because Perez could not handle the rain at all that race. I remember, (laughs) yeah, didn't he have like eight spins or something throughout the race? We also had uh, Barcelona, same with turn one. Like Barcelona... Verstappen was absolutely relentless uh, at Barcelona and just went for it, and Hamilton had to dive out of the way. Imola, he had to dive out of the way again. Bahrain, uh, Max ended up you know, overtaking offline, as it turned out, and he had to give the place back. But my goodness, how often in a championship Lucas, are we treated to the front runners from different teams really battling it out wheel to
4: wheel? It's been amazing. Well, uh, if we go back in time, did we ever see a crash like this between Senna, Post, Schumacher, Montoya? I think it was a really heavy crash. crash.
3: The result was certainly heavy, but perhaps the contact wasn't as heavy, if, if that makes sense. True. It was a very small contact with a big result. Yeah. I can see. I think we should move on. He's yeah. Lucas is visibly <laughs> just, enraged. Yeah. You're controlling yourself. You're holding yourself back. You, you really <laughs> don't need to.
4: Yeah, well it's it's just sad you know max was 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 had it was a, a leading the championship and then i thought okay we put this aside and let's go to hungary and show 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 him something and then the first lap came and i just almost threw my television outside the window so i'm still sick of that you know it, it's not even it's not all, it's not only silverstone it's also hungary you know it's
3: i so i wasn't i really wasn't factoring that into the conversation chris but yes you can imagine from a fan point of view it it had to be the mercedes as well it would've been another thing if norris had just come out and wiped verstappen yeah. out yeah and
0: of course baku as well puncture you know just a few laps from the from the finish it's fair to say max has had a fair bit of bad luck and i am struggling off the top of my head to try and look back to a similar thing for lewis where you can just look at it and go well that was just unlucky um i i can't think of something like that
2: well in the silver linings department i will say that if max does go on to win the championship it will just make it that much sweeter (laughs) that he's done so under these circumstances so i will hold that out for those of you who are verstappen fans we all want to see a close championship and we all want to see it all mattering at the last race but in regards to what you said chris i do want to jump in that if lewis was ever unlucky it would be at also at baku where he accidentally hit that switch and finished with no points because he was on course to finish 25 points up on max till that happened that said Mm -hmm. the biggest single discrepancy is Silverstone where lewis won and Max finished with zero points. Oh, We've got
3: his own in the Baku thing, Chris. We've got his own in on that. <laughs> I think on the race review, I did. I did say that is a driver error. It's a hell of an unlucky driver error. It's the kind of driver error you make once. It haunts you for years, and you you don't make it again. You'll he'll have a nervous twitch now every time his fingers go to the back <laughs> of the steering wheel. It's like, did I touch the? Did I touch the thing? Yeah, yeah. I, again, it, it's not the kind of thing where
0: I would consider it unlucky because for me, unlucky is out of your control completely. And that was not.
2: Okay. So should we talk about tires and tire pressure and the uh, Pirelli directives that came down after Baku as well? I mean, why? (laughs) Because if you want to talk about things that were in and out of people's controls, Okay, the, this is the, this is your most desperate attempt
3: to shoehorn <laughs> tires into a conversation yet.
2: No, I'm just, I'm just saying that if Red Bull were, and I'm not saying they were, but based on what we saw afterwards, some teams were playing games uh, with yeah, tire yeah, pressures yeah, yeah. during the race. Yeah. And if they were, that could well have caused the, his tire to separate. Now, that is not Max's fault. No. It's unlucky for Max, but it definitely belongs to the team. And I feel like Hamilton's switch might fall into that same category. Okay, so if we're talking about luck,
3: luck does happened luck plays his part there was uh, there's endless arguments about the 2008 championship where people will talk about glock the hose the the singapore grand prix with crash gate to in an attempt to to take that championship away from lewis hamilton but you can also point to 2007 where he was left out on old tires in china ended up crashing you can tell i've rehearsed these arguments a million times and we can talk about 2016 with the engine failure that effectively cost him four race victories against Nico Rosberg because in that season they were always finishing first and second so there was only seven points you could get ahead of your rival so a retirement cost you about four races so so there will be good and bad luck and, and you have to ride that and Nico Rosberg was fast enough to take advantage of that luck this season though Chris it is really and I'm not just saying this because I don't want to hurt Lucas's feelings no, it's not a concession <laughs> yeah. to the Netherlands <laughs> but Lewis Hamilton has had the, the rub of the green in the first half of the season in three ways, I think, and I'll detail them in a minute.
0: In a way, I'm slightly glad. And, and hear me out, because I can already hear you tapping away <laughs> okay. at the keyboard. Glad, how dare you. But imagine how far ahead Max would be without all this, this bad luck, and we would not have such an intense title fight at yeah. this point. We want this to go down to the wire. We always want a championship battle to go to the final race because it's the most exciting thing that can, can happen. And right now the fact that it's toing and froing so much just makes it
3: that much more exciting. Well we should have double points in the final race to make it more likely no, that the championship no. will go No? Did, that didn't that didn't work? Oh no, so, hated that. Three reasons why Lewis Hamilton has the rub of the green at the moment. And uh, the last one will address your point about it being close in the championship now. So I genuinely think Max Verstappen has had bad luck with the tires coming off worse out of that incident and then being absolutely skittled by Bottas. There's a big handful of points and you know if 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 wishes were kisses, you know, we'd be covered in lipstick because you could say Max Verstappen 50 points ahead right now. Also Lewis Hamilton has had some good luck. You ride your luck, you've had you have to take advantage of that luck when it comes. So lucky to get uh, maybe a 10-second a penalty only. There is another universe where the stewards would have done a harsher penalty at Silverstone. He rode that luck to go and win, so that's, that's, that's that. That's out of the way. Imola, he got incredibly lucky with the safety car, uh, with the red flag, I beg your pardon, to be able to come in second because he he, he got the lap back, and, and instead of being a lap down, he was able to to be on the same lap and get the second. So that's one, Max's bad luck. Two, the rub of the green uh, for Hamilton. The third bit of bad luck, I think, Matt is that perhaps Max's bad luck came whilst Red Bull was strongest. So even if those scales tip and Hamilton has bad luck and and Max has good luck, Max is not going to he's going to need like four good lucks to make up for two good luck, bad lucks that he had earlier if that makes sense because I feel like the car advantage is going back to Mercedes and actually what Chris is talking about is is it's not quite right because it might make it more exciting now, but I fear that my prediction is by Mexico, it's going to look a bit Mercedes y. And I think, I think it's all done and dusted before we go to Saudi and, and Dubai at this point. Uh, Abu Dhabi, sorry.
0: Well, maybe, but yeah, we're we'll talking about you know, sort of contentions here. We don't really know yet how the, the car advantage is going to play out. I totally see your theory going on like past trends.
3: Yeah, and and really good point from Nick, the F1 Geek, in our Patreon Slack group, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. He says he's taking more risks when he's far behind in the, in the points. This is Lewis. Now that he's ahead in the points, you're going to see a more risk-averse Lewis Hamilton. And we've definitely seen that, Matt. We've definitely seen Lewis treat Max Verstappen with kid gloves when he felt that he had an advantage. And then when threatened and behind, definitely... Much more aggressive
2: well yeah as as befits your situation in the championship, it makes a lot of sense. I'm not as convinced I think the car I think the car advantage will continue to vacillate depending upon the track yeah. and the conditions and I just feel like pointing out that literally uh to the best of my mathematical ability, we're more or less a first place second place swap between them being tied again. This is the it's closest true. I've seen a championship in ages at the halfway point. And I don't yet see a clear uh, momentum winner, if you know what I mean. So, Lucas, we, we've seen Lewis Hamilton over the
3: years change gears a lot uh, with regards, especially to Max Verstappen, as to whether he will yield or fight a position. Max really only seems to have one gear. I, I just can't think of a time where he's been in a kind of battle and he's compromised. He, he is entirely uncompromising. What do you mean only one gear? As in, not like in his race car, he's got like eight gears in that. Yeah. But as in, he is always on maximum attack. Uh,
4: Yes. Um, But I think he's growing. He's getting more mature. A great example is uh, the battle between Lewis Hamilton and Alonso last week, last race. Yes. Where you saw Alonso being very aggressive and Lewis just pulling back just to be to uh, to keep the car uh, alive, and I think Max is still too aggressive with that, and I think um, Lewis is just more uh, more of an adult with that, with just driving safe. We, we've what, we've what
3: definitely Le- seen Lewis Hamilton go through that phase. Two thousand and nine. Yeah. I don't think yeah. he went a race without hitting Massa. I I think he yeah. hit Massa in every single True. race. <laughs> Eleven. Yeah. yeah. 2011 research. sorry yes 2011 that was the the nightmare year
4: so i think i think max will uh change uh grow race by race so as a verstappen fan are you are you happy with where he
3: is now for this championship as a point i raised earlier uh, in the season was would max have the the temperament and the ability to to pick his battles to see through this championship you know obviously maybe in future championships but this one in particular, as I a fan, I really you, hope so. Are you happy to I see really him go flat so. out, though, or do you want to see him pick his
4: battles? Uh, I just want him to be world champion, <laughs> and I, I think no, I just just race and be aggressive, just be max, be aggressive. But be of max. course, sometimes you have to. But it's it's, you know, it's it's millimeter millimeters. It's it's it's. Uh, I don't know the word for it. It's it's so so tight the fight, and you know. But but I, I just <laughs> hope that that um, it doesn't crash anymore.
3: <laughs> it's not his fault it, well it hasn't been his fault this season has it like when we were looking we, we were listing errors earlier in the yeah. earlier in the day and we can point to some uh, really obvious Lewis Hamilton errors going off against George Russell in in Imola being mostly to blame for the Silverstone incident looking at the Verstappen errors they're actually a lot they're less they're much more blurry like okay overtook or off track in Bahrain Maybe you know lose pole position in Portimao due to track limits, running wide at the last corner in that. But well, I think there's less errors from Verstappen, like in general this season.
4: What What if Max Verstappen was on pole in Hungary? Then Lewis Hamilton gets wiped
3: out by Bottas. Oh my god, that would have been good drama, <laughs> wouldn't it?
2: And delightful. But I cannot believe I'm going to be the only person on this podcast to say that I disagree. I think Max has matured. I think we've seen a much more mature Verstappen. True going for the championship relative to previous years, the only place you could potentially argue he falls down slightly is, as you say, Lucas, at the very, very margins, where his, where his, where the person against whom he is racing has seven world championships and a generation's worth of experience. I mean, I think it's incredible the amount of progress he's made and how close he's made this fight.
0: Uh, I, I completely agree, Matt. If this had been anyone else he was fighting for the title it would be completely one sided lewis is at the peak of his fat powers at the moment and what is so interesting is that they are both being pressured mm. immensely and we are seeing more mistakes from lewis than we normally would because of the intensity of this fight when you get to giants too great battling out as they are
3: it pushes them over the edge i think we're going to we're going to drift away from this uh Verstappen versus Hamilton uh, uh, focus just for a sec. Only because I can see me and Lucas were being very polite, but I can see there if we were, we, I think, I think we'd be wanting to arm wrestle if we were in in real life. <laughs> me, little me against True. your giant Dutch levers of arms. Uh, but uh, tell us about your your podcast before we move on. Uh, Race reporter, uh, where can we find it? I know it's a Dutch language podcast, but you were very generous in suggesting that perhaps i might be on there for for an english episode oh yeah true uh
4: of course we we have a website uh racereporter.nl or f1podcast.nl and we started 2017 we also make uh specials i am very proud we we had a special uh for three hours about crap teams oh okay good (laughs) you can just maybe you could run it through google translate and listen to it Uh, We also made a, uh, I was looking for the um, uh, champion world champions that only uh, were champion for one, uh, one one time world champions. Yeah. How many, how many drivers do you think there were? Ooh, how okay, Chris, you're good at this kind of trivia.
0: How many one
4: time world champions? Damon Hill, Button, Mansell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's only about 30 world champions or something, isn't there? I would say probably 20 of them are one-time world
4: champions no 16 I'm 16 g- or 17 i was gonna say oh, less gross.
3: but i was gonna say less because you, if you're in an era with a great car you're likely to to win multiple championships aren't you yeah.
4: so we made a special about that and yeah. uh well just uh, brilliant i'm really happy to make a podcast and be in your podcast
3: oh we're delighted to have you here and the links uh, primarily for dutch speakers will be in the show notes below Okay, uh, let's. Oh, I've played the wrong bumper there, haven't I? Because what we're doing is we're talking. We're talking some news, aren't we? So, big dirty news. I'll turn to you, Chris. The motorsport world, especially the single seater world, is is not at all yet recovered from from the accident in in the the Junior Series. Uh, where a young Hubert uh, was tragically killed and it was Carrera. I've, I've said the name wrong, haven't I?
0: Juan Manuel
3: Carrera. uh was the driver that ended up crashing into him, I believe. So obviously he had a lot to say when there was a recent accident at Spa-Francorchamps and it was to do with this uh, this area at the very start of the Kemmel Strait as you go through Upper Rouge, up Radion. I know there's some discussion about the exact corner names, but essentially the barriers there throw cars back out onto the track. So there's some proposed changes there, but feelings are are, are very high because it's incredibly scary. Everyone was affected, I think, by that footage, and it seems to be a, a pinch point that happens time and time again, where a car is thrown back into the, the firing line of, of cars at racing speed.
0: Yeah, I think what hasn't really helped is the fact that motorsport in in general, um, especially here in the UK, um, is going through a bit of a rough patch. Um, A few weeks ago, there was a a death at Snetterton during a Citroën C1 race. There was obviously the very unfortunate incident at Brands Hatch with the marshal being um, killed uh, last weekend as well. There was another incident at Snetterton with a paddock paddock fire just um, a few days ago. So we're all kind of a little bit um, more aware about these sorts of things, and this very scary incident very early on uh, in the twenty-four hours of Spa um, really did resonate with quite a few people because when the footage kind of came to light, it was very scary how similar to the uh, to, Huber, to the yeah. to the Antoine Hubert incident it was in the... It involved one car having an incident and going off and then coming back on track into the firing line.
2: Yeah. And essentially what the problem is there, and, and I remember Korea commenting on it at the time, the problem is with the with the debris and the smoke from the first off, you cannot see what is ahead of you. And the warning systems are insufficient to get the drivers to slow in time. And so I believe it was Callum Eilat, who's being talked about some and is a Ferrari Academy driver, if I'm correct, Chris, yes. um, had, had a fairly vocal statement on Twitter that, yes, it's an iconic corner, but safety is safety and maybe it's time for changes to be considered.
3: So very close to home for you, Lucas, obviously the Belgian Grand Prix. It's an iconic corner, and the fear is that you can't really do anything substantial without fundamentally taking away
4: one of the one of the most
3: iconic one of the most scary yeah.
4: corners in the world well can you remember the crash of Zonta and Villeneuve?
3: i'm stretching back in, into in my in that mind corner.
4: i think there was there was uh, no asphalt but uh, uh, we call a grind what is it called Gravel. gravel gravel why don't we put the barrier more into the forest to the right and put more gravel there so we can keep the corner because I, I'm, I'm not an expert but is it not the problem that the car bounces back
3: yes the problem is the car bounces back correct me if i'm wrong but is there not a, a drop on the other side of that barrier which is stopping them moving it too far back? Well, they, they changed bus stop as well just no no what i mean is like there's literally a cliff so they wouldn't yeah, yeah. so
4: throw in some sand and what, that's what I'm saying that changed yeah. this stop as well
3: so Matt isn't isn't that the current proposal
4: to to put gravel down there
2: well now is where it gets very interesting um, certainly from the point of view of the FIA uh, and we know this from talking to uh, Phil smear who has helped design FIA accredited circuits that particularly when it comes to the modeling Having asphalt is preferred because it allows the cars to maximally slow before they encounter barriers, and it makes it easier for the FIA to guess what might happen to cars that are off at certain
3: places. Because the tires are gripping the concrete for a longer period of time.
2: It's just, it's, it's a more of a linear thing. It's easier to mathematically predict where they might end up in certain circumstances and i'm going to leave it at that because then i otherwise i need my daughter to help me solve all the calculus <laughs> equations involved and i refuse to ask her for help anymore
3: but i think chris what lucas is driving at is that perhaps having gravel there in just this particular situation is stopping the very specific risk of of bouncing back onto the track
0: maybe um there were also um arguments to say that maybe if we just change the angles of the barriers um not necessarily having to move them back but uh, just making it so that it's not so easy for a car to to bounce back because you're right there, there are going to be problems with just extending that runoff zone mm. and i think gravel if they can avoid that as a solution they will just because
3: of the flip it, it
0: creates yeah. so much unpredictability when a car ends up in a, in a gravel trap
2: Right. Um, but what we're running into is that they are already planning to make changes uh, for MotoGP. I know Spanner's favorite sport because it is magic. Motorbikes are witchcraft. Thank you very much for that. Um, I It was hard for me to determine exactly what the changes are. Gravel has been mentioned, and that was actually, I think, brought up by Kevin Estra. And when he was talking with Callum Eilat about what changes are, he said, if you put gravel there, all the drivers will lift and it will automatically be safer. That was his argument for, I think, the argument against is it potentially destabilizing the car even more um, and and causing a bigger accident to the driver as a result. Chris, do we want
3: cars having to lift there? Does it make it a better corner? Do we want them flat out and terrified? Because these modern F1 drivers, they're coming through these series. They're not scared of going through Mm -hmm. a Rouge, are they? So... adding a lift in there but then of course it does mean that if they do keep it pinned in a corner designed not to not keep it pinned perhaps that's even more dangerous
0: yeah certainly you know it's a a far cry from the corner where people were building up to taking it you know flat out for the very first time in a weekend which would do like when you were on the very last bit of fuel, or maybe just at the very end of your last running, uh, qualifying for, for example, for me, you know, the the best corner at Spa now is Pouan, um, uh, just because Formula One has outgrown a Rouge and Pouan is a more demanding corner for those cars now. So, yeah, but what happens, if you, what happens if you go wider at Pouan? It's
3: nothing, you just
0: well, yeah, that's also very, very true. But, uh, you know, in terms of, um, demand, mm. driver demand, uh, for me, it's it's a more challenging corner.
3: Okay, okay. Well, we will we'll watch with interest. I assume that these aren't for this year.
2: Uh, no, it's. I think is it for the upcoming season. Uh, I'm going to have to scroll through the notes and find it, out. Well, you're sure. scrolling
3: through the notes, Lucas, uh, you've had a lot of rain over in your part of the world, and it's caused a bit of damage to the circuit. Is is that going to be okay for the Grand Prix? Do you think?
4: Uh, uh, Spa, Spa. I think it, they put they put in some new asphalt. At that small part at Arouche. I believe so, but I'm not really sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, they just ran the 24 hours there, no yeah. problem. So they're, they're good as gold over Excellent. there. Okay.
3: Oh, I suppose we should talk about Zandvoort as well. So last I heard, the Dutch government had imposed some, some restrictions on multiple day events, True. which of course the Grand Prix Festival. Is. So the decision was going to be made on the thirteenth of August for for Zandvoort, and that was
4: being pulled forward. It's now the eighth of
3: August. How is it looking?
2: Good,
4: I think. Is it? Yeah, because uh, two things. We we also have like the Dutch prince who mm. is connected to the circuit. So my, I think what they're gonna do is like open the door and say, yeah, we're gonna have a festival, and then then they can always say, oh no, it didn't work. So I I, I uh, last Sunday I was biking. Uh, next to the circuit, and I saw them all building this, and putting on signs. So, so it, does, it, looks, it does look like it's going. It's going to be there, it, but we don't saying, know.
0: It, it's worth saying was that Zandvoort was in a similar position to Silverstone, where if we can't have fans, this race cannot go ahead because well track's going to just run out of money and it's going to have to close its doors. And so, you know, it was actually part of a little bit of an opening up. Experiment. Well, hang on British- a minute. Yeah. Can,
3: can the prince not simply fund or, or, or order it ahead with a wave of a scepter? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, this has been a long time coming for you guys because, you know, it's been years yep. in the making and is it one year that's been postponed or, or two? It was one year I only. I think one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you guys must be pretty pumped. I'm assuming you're going to be there in a bright orange shirt with a flare yes. and you're going to look for people in silver shirts or or any any a iteration of the number Give four. Give them a beer. <laughs> with a flare. <laughs> here's a beer and here's a flare in it. The atmosphere's going to be electric.
4: Yes, of course. But uh, it's going to be fun. But f- first... I uh, first see and i just i'm not 100% sure that it's going to uh, oh, okay. continue so but i am it, it's it's 50 minutes away biking by on my bicycle from my home where i live so i'm really excited excellent and, uh, and
3: if if any of us turn up there can we can we huddle with the the race report podcasters in a big yes. dutch huddle so that we're safe
4: so yes we can, you can okay. sleep in my place of oh, okay. course
3: well well there you go that's more than i was asking for i just yeah. wanted some from physical- my bike I wanted some physical protection at the track. (laughs) That's what I was after. All right. um, Let's talk about winning a race. As you know, Trumpets, winning a race is incredibly easy and literally anyone can do it and it's not worth celebrating.
2: And that's why you're such a big Hamilton fan. Yes. Look, I'm not taking your Ocon victory
3: away from you by pointing out that Perez did it in his midfield car way earlier and Perez took his damn sweet time about it. Uh, sorry, Ocon took his damn sweet time about it. But um, interesting comments about uh, Ocon when he was asked if it was difficult out the front.
2: Yeah, well, I, to me, the, the best quote that came out of that uh, was, was him saying literally, oh, I, I know, I mean, Vettel, you know, four-time world champion, second off me the whole time with a slightly faster car. And, oh, yeah, I had to fuel safe too, like half a second a lap after the pit stops. But yeah, you know what? That's a lot easier than what I normally have to do every week in the midfield. That's basically what he said. He's like, it's easier to win when you're already out in front.
3: So, but how is that easier than, say, fighting for sixth place and fighting off Vettel for seventh? That's not what he means. does it? It means it's easier when you've broken away rather than being in a pack?
0: Yes, that was my takeaway from it because in that scenario, it was him and Seb, big gap to kind of everyone else. And so therefore the only driver... That the both of them were really focusing on was each other hmm. and at that point you can really start to build a, a map in your head of this is where i'm stronger this is where he's stronger this is where i can maybe try and make bars or i have to be a little bit defensive here or i can use up a little bit more of my energy here use a bit more of my tire here etc cetera, etc cetera. when you're in a pack it's so much harder. You've got to be looking at the car behind you, the yeah. car behind them, the car in front of you, the car in front of, of them, the, the a car five seconds behind you just came in for a stop, that, that was three positions behind. Right do we have to now react to that? What's everyone else gonna be doing? It's it's probably the sheer quantity of cars you have to yeah. watch.
3: Yeah. When that battle is so close. Christopher Fonseca in our chat says Perez took 190 races to get his first win. He cannot win comment of the week, Matt. I don't care. I don't care how funny his comments are. He's ap- he's de- definitely banned
2: now. Introducing fact of the week: the latest missed apex contest.
3: <laughs> no, hang on, I've got a dub over this. Wait a second. Let's see. Let's see if I can. Let's see if I can pull this off. Fact. Oh no, I pressed the wrong button. Oh. that was a failed experiment. I was trying to dub over the the comment of the week, but I pressed the wrong button.
1: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
3: For Ocon though, the, the biggest struggle must have been the mental game. So pulling on my vast experience of a few karting events and sim racing, I find that the second I'm in a position that I'm happy with, everything changes. As soon as I'm like, oh, my God, I'd like to finish the race here in this lofty sixth position in this kart race, my, my brake leg starts shaking. I start hesitating. Is, th- is this the time to take to take the corner? Obviously, Ocon's a little bit better at race cars than me. But that mental factor has to be there. You suddenly find yourself first. And this is where not having won a race since what, F3, Matt? That, that's that's where that yeah. becomes an issue.
2: You would think so, but his his replies after the event were somewhat contrary to that. He said, no, I, he said that he didn't feel all that rusty. And it, it is worth considering that he's won not just races, but entire championships. And I, I do find that there are people who were perfectly happy to be out in front and it just simply, they like being there. It doesn't bother them. And it actually, they feel more comfortable there. And he, he seemed to imply that. He's like, because you have less to manage and because you're in front, you can really place the car where you want it. It makes it you're it's much easier to make the car behind you have a more difficult task to get around you.
0: I, I would argue that the circuit they were racing on played a, a, a partial factor in this because we sure. know hmm. that racing at the Hungara ring is incredibly difficult. Esteban probably knew as long as I don't make a boo-boo. Seb is not going to get a good enough run on me if I do everything properly,
3: and unless Vettel had thought to just run wide at turn one and then just get a really good run into turn two using the extra speed and pace from running wide, I'm absolutely flabbergasted that Vettel didn't think of that. Okay, that was bait. That was bait for Lucas that time, but he didn't. He, yet again, he didn't bite at all. Uh, so the thing is then. Is it harder now for Ocon Matt to go back into the midfield and have to deal with that and go, "Oh, this is disappointing. I'm not. I'm not up front." In fact, I think hasn't didn't Gasly have a bit of a similar thing after Monza, where he just seemed disappointed with everything that wasn't a win?
0: Well, well, Gasly oh. had a bit of a shocker, didn't he? Because he was taken out the following race at Mugello. Yeah, didn't the same thing happen to Checo?
3: Oh, possibly. And, I can't and, remember.
0: And Maldonado. So. The um, form book is not looking great for Esteban
3: at Spa. Okay, well, with with Maldonado going back to just crashing out, not, that's called reversion to the meme. Well,
0: and it was his fault as well, 100%. He just ran into the back of the car. You, you the car.
3: honestly didn't have to caveat that. I was I was completely fine. I was on board. <laughs> I was with you all the way. Let's talk. Oh, gone. Sorry, Lucas, go ahead.
4: Oh, in, in our podcast, I had, a, I had a question. I always like to compare the uh, today Formula One with the 90s is Ocon a Jean Lazy with only one win? Oh, Matt,
3: Matt, he's just, are you going to stand for that?
2: He just compared Ocon to John Lazy. Come on, man. Well, if I'm being honest, it comes down to the car. What does Alpine do with the car? Does he wind up going to Mercedes like Carter predicts? You know, if he winds up in a car that can win races on the regular, I think he wins races on the regular. I think his defense against Vettel and his comfort being out in front absolutely shows his class as a racer. But is he going to win races in the Alpine if it if they stay where they are? Well, I don't know. Alonso hasn't. And Alonso's already got a couple of oh. World Driver Championships to his credit. So no, he, he will need a car to go with that. That's what I would say.
3: And the Oscar for pretending not to be really annoyed that your young teammate won a race and you didn't goes to Fernando Alonso. Now, we know we talked in the Hungarian Grand Prix race review about his role in holding up Hamilton and how that may have saved Vettel and Ocon from getting a charge from Hamilton towards the end of the race. However, you also uncovered, Matt, that he might have played an an even bigger role than we thought. Uh,
2: Yeah, indeed. I I was looking back at the pit stops because, you know, before the show, it gets very busy and there was the big red flag, so we didn't have as much time as usual. I was going back over the pit stops um, on the way to the second start of the race. The restart of the race just to just to see that my pit stop box um, assertion was correct. And I found out that I'd actually missed the fact that after the three drivers, um, Signs, Latifi and Sonoda, went by Ocon, he'd zapped out just ahead of Vettel. Vettel actually got into the box first because his box was before Alcon's; They were right next to each other. But Alcon managed. They both had good pit stops. So Ocon managed to get back out ahead of him. But the gap that he emerged into wasn't because the drivers behind were in pit stop boxes behind him, but instead was due to the fact that Alonzo decided to, like, stop off at a Dairy Queen and order an ice cream sundae on his way into the pit lane. There was easily, what would you call it, a six, seven car gap mm. between Alonzo, and that was exactly what both Vettel and Alcon emerged into after they changed their tires and that's why they were at the front and they didn't get trapped by traffic Uh, and we have seen drivers investigated for slowing
3: down and bringing that gap in previous races
2: yeah there's definitely a delta that you have to follow i believe um well i don't know though it was a it was a not formation formation line Mm. so if i'm being honest i'm not entirely sure what rules would apply other than if he was slow Once you put the pit stop limiter on, that would definitely be, I think, a penalty.
3: But it wasn't race condition. So there's nothing stopping him slowing a a little uh, as you get towards uh, the pit lane because it was a not formation formation lap, as you said. I'm curious what Lucas thinks of Alonso's comment that because we were all saying, oh, uh, you're holding up Hamilton. You're helping Ocon. He said, no, I had to fight hard to help Max out. And I thought, "Ooh, (laughs) that's interesting. And he sort of gave Max a little fist bump
4: in the the pit. I think you know they were teammates, and um, I think Lewis Hamilton is is always playing these these political games, mind games, and I think Alonso was just mind gaming Lewis, and I, I I think Alonso also knew that this was going to be his last fight in Formula One with Lewis Hamilton. You think so? This will be his last fight. You don't see him going
3: onwards and upwards. I hope so, but I don't <laughs> think so. Are you an Alonso fan also? I am. I
4: personally. am. Yes and no. Sometimes I think it's just annoying, irritating, but sometimes (laughs) it makes me laugh. I think he uh, in a motorsport.com
3: article, he was saying, oh, the British-based F1 and F1 media, they paint non-British F1 drivers to be the bad guy. And that's the only reason he was implying that he would be described as the bad guy. No, I'm an Alonso fan, but you've, you've given us plenty of reason to call you the bad guy if we'd want to. Yeah, I love
4: him. I, I am. I'm really happy he's back. Anyway, I, I really enjoyed the fight with Lewis and Alonso.
3: Yeah, no, it, it was brilliant. It was absolutely fantastic, uh, guys. We're we're running towards the end of the show, but I um I do want to talk some silly season stuff. So I'll give that a, a, about ten minutes or so. We are going to end the show with a a little bit of a different segment. There's some cross promotion with someone who worked at a very low level in Formula One and has a very good podcast that we're doing. Pros- Cross promotion with I I would be very appreciative if you would check out that podcast and listen to the segment. A little bit different to our normal shows, but uh, I I hope you enjoy that. So that will be coming up as soon as we finish talking about the silly season. Just a few news items uh, with uh, with the silly season, Matt. Where do you want to start? I think possibly the most interesting one is is Williams and and whether or not they need a pay driver. And let, for this, let's go on the assumption that, that Russell's off. He's, he's going. He's gone.
2: Yeah, well, I think that, that presupposes the whole point of the article, yeah. which is uh, Doralton Capital, or rather Williams, coming out and saying, we now have so much money, we can pick any driver we want, and uh, they don't have to bring anything if we don't require them to. And which article? Can we credit the article? Uh, it was on motorsport.com. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, everything is. Yeah. Okay. So that that's
3: interesting. So does that mean does that mean the end for Latifi, do we think? It implies that heavily, doesn't it?
2: I dunno. You'd have to ask the current management team, Capito and Friends how they feel about Latifi, because I will point out that he did score more points than Russell. <laughs>
3: oh, don't do that. Come yes. on, man. Yes. Oh, look at look at Dutch fellow over there delighting in that. No.
2: <laughs>
4: we said in our podcast, we said, oh, no, it's not going to happen. It, it was before Hungary. We This is going to happen. <laughs> Latifi is going to score more points than <laughs> Russell.
0: Can I just say, because I wasn't on the Hungarian race review, how
3: so happy
0: oh so, course. So happy yes i, I forget was.
4: you're a
3: big latifi fan
2: my boy Nicky, doing me <laughs> proud what a man well um, um, what is interesting about this is that there's now a name associated to this statement that has been popping up over and over again it's another Nicky, and nico in fact nico hulkenberg is now being talked about as being brought back to be the driver assuming russell winds up someplace that isn't williams uh,
0: i believe danny Kvyat is also in oh wow uh, contention for that see a potential um comeback uh, i believe the other driver they are also potentially looking at because so, uh, let's look at alpine for example uh, you know all all these teams that that have driver academies they have two three teams that they could put them into alpine doesn't have any and so they need to try and forge a deal with some other team to put their driver in and Williams is their best option and Guan Yu Zhou currently fighting for the F2 title was leading the championship by quite some margin before uh, the last round at Silverstone if I remember rightly. Genuine contention for F1 uh, next year I think Um, especially he is a Chinese driver and the Chinese market is just so huge. Yeah. If Alpine can crack that, then that is just, that's massive for them. So oh, bringing him into F1 would be. Are big. you
3: suggesting that Alpine would fund Joe into, into Williams to give him experience?
0: Well, not necessarily fund, but they need to work out a way to bring him into F1 because they're not going to replace Esteban or Alonso mm. for, for Joe at the moment. They've got no secondary team to put them into so if they can work out a deal with another team and now would Williams you know take it for example do they want another Mercedes junior surely that comes with benefits like cheaper engines and gearboxes for example but it depends what offer they can give them really
2: And that's the interesting thing, because if Russell does go, and if our friend Valtteri does not wind up at Williams, then you begin to wonder, well, what exactly kind of deal will Williams have for power units? If they do go for Joe, then then there's no doubt there would be a very sweet power unit deal to go along, because right now, Reno is the only, Reno is only at Alpine, and they desperately could use a second team just for the data purposes
0: exactly of course they have Oscar Piastri as well but i think he's probably going to do another season of F2 before looking at an F1 promotion he is having an incredible rookie season don't get me wrong but a second year would probably do him um better but of course for Joe there is also an option at alpha as well if bottas ends up at williams he might end up at alpha of course you know he's managed by toto wolf and him and fred vasserra are, are very close yeah. um done a lot of deals together in in the past um Alpha has the, the right to choose their own drivers. Um, it's not going to be like a Ferrari decision. We want you to have Joe F- For example, it is entirely up to Fred Vasseur and the Sauber team. So they could have uh, Joe if they wanted to or Porcher, who's part of their driver academy.
3: And of course, Williams will not be putting Dan Ticktum into an F1 seat. He's been dropped by, by Williams. He's still got his seat in F2, as I understand it. He was on a Twitch stream calling Latifi every name under the sun. No, no, not quite like that. But he was calling him a pay driver and saying he was not not worthy of, of F1 and saying a lot of bad stuff. But what I understand, uh, Lucas, is that actually when that happened, he had already been dropped by Williams. So that might have been retaliatory.
4: In the Netherlands, we are thinking maybe in Robin Freins or Venus Fike to Williams.
3: Uh,
0: that is really the first time, because as far as I know, Robin France has just signed another deal with Envision, Envision Virgin Racing for Formula E. And of course, is an Audi factory driver and has a lot of GT3 uh, duties. Uh, Robin France was, of course, a Red Bull junior for quite some time, but it's been quite a while since he was in a single uh, well, a prop, a, a normal single seater, I might say.
2: You say that, but didn't I see something about McNish suddenly being back around the Formula One paddock for some reason or another? We keep he's on a, getting these Audi, Porsche He's wits. a bit old for an F1C at Williams, Matt. Come on. <laughs> uh, but he's not old to be a team principal or other player like that, should Audi <laughs> choose to get involved again. Mm, excellent.
3: All right, look, uh, I think... The, the big one that we're dancing around there is the, the Mercedes seat. We made the assumption that George Russell is going to, is going to, um, to Mercedes. However, Lucas's favourite ever driver, Jacques Villeneuve, uh, made some comments that sounded mad. He basically said Lance Stroll should be the number two driver at Mercedes for 2022. And on the surface, that sounds incredibly insane. And I don't think that that will happen. But actually, I'm not sure it's quite as insane as it first sounds. I did not realize that uh, Lawrence Stroll and Toto Wolf, for example, uh, uh, are close. I think that an older Lewis Hamilton, as much as he protests, I think he would be perfectly within his rights as a seven-time world champion to go, hey, come on, guys, I'm the focus of your team where we're going forward for these next few championships, it feels like bringing George Russell in there takes, unless he's on a contract that says you're supporting Lewis Hamilton, then you get to take over. It feels like signing George Russell says to Lewis Hamilton, we're not necessarily backing you. This isn't a Schumacher-Ferrari situation. I've just got a feeling, and I don't know if anyone will disagree, I've just got a feeling that Russell to Mercedes isn't quite done and dusted. Does anyone want to yell at me about that, Matt?
2: I don't want to yell at you. I I would entirely agree. I think Mercedes' choice is very complex, and it's going to depend on things that unfortunately are probably not going to happen until much later in the season.
3: But hmm. the thing is, though, Lucas, look, Verstappen—they don't make no real secret about it. He is the number one driver. He does get development preference, and and personally, if I was a team boss, I would always have a Schumacher of Verstappen. I would always back my number one driver and have a support driver.
4: I, I always say Formula One is marketing. And Mercedes has got two divisions. The sporting, the AMG, it's Lewis. Oh, yeah. And the more decent, where they had Nico Rosberg. And I think they also need like a decent driver for the decent Mercedes driver being Bottas.
3: And, and what and a decent, what do you mean by decent? What's your definition of so, decent? Uh, in Holland, they say degelijk.
4: It means like a gentleman or, or right. just like, the, you know, like a team player. So, yeah. So I hmm. think, I think there's more than only Formula One racing. I think they also focus on marketing for the, the other Mercedes brand itself that is not AMG. So, uh, I don't know. You know, they need a decent driver as well for Mercedes. So, so I do
3: too. And uh, Lucas in the chat makes a great point. He says, "I, I see the point about Stroll, but if, if that's what you want, if you want your decent driver, why not keep Bottas?" And I, and I think Ooh, honestly, yeah. if, if I was if I was Mercedes, I probably would keep Bottas because that that yeah. partnership is is working. I don't think it's anything controversial. Perez will move over and be a, a team player for the entire time he's in a Red Bull shirt against Max Verstappen. So I don't think that's crazy. The the thing Matt with. Uh, With Stroll is, I I genuinely believe, do you remember when we we had this argument when Stroll was at at Williams and I was like, well, Stroll has nearly limitless funds. Their funds are only limited by their ambition. If they wanted to become a controlling partner in three or four years time in the Mercedes F1 team, he absolutely has the resources to do it. So putting your son in as the number two driver at Mercedes, levering all your business and uh, contacts and financial power so that when Lewis Hamilton goes out of the way, your boy has got a decent shot at the, the biggest you know, premier world champion organization. I, I don't think, look, I know Jack Villeneuve is kind of nuts. I don't <laughs> think Stroll is going to Mercedes. I'm just saying it's not as mad
2: as people assumed. So what's intriguing to me about this is that we're all looking at it from a bunch of different points of views. But if I'm Bottas and I'm being told I might have to vacate that seat, if you said your choice is Williams, Alpha Uh, or Aston? Yeah. Well, I know which one I would choose. Absolutely, positively, for sure. I know which one I would choose. Now, the thing that you've not mentioned that is interesting is the joining of the Mercedes business, the Mercedes F1 business, by Jim Ratcliffe of Ineos, and he is also a man with a great deal of funds. And I don't know yet. I haven't figured out where or if he's going to have any role in in the changing of these drivers and who actually walks in the door. So that would be the only flying the ointment of the theory you're putting up right now from my point of view.
3: All right, guys, uh, we are coming to the end of uh, the regular part of the new show. I do hope you'll hang around for my conversation with Izzy Lawrence, but I would like to encourage you to follow my panel. After you've followed me, of course, at Spanners Ready, the show at Missed Apex F1. Chris Chris wants a little follow. Don't you not quick, Give Chris a little follow. Where would we go? Underscore chris underscore journo underscore pr underscore i've given up on life underscores of the worst
0: <laughs> or just chris on racing oh
3: yeah you changed it because i yeah because i made you
0: <sighs>
3: still at, on this at chris on racing. desperate go and follow chris the links will be in the show notes below our, our new friend lucas dagan i am so pleased that you have joined us i'm so pleased that you barely hid your emotion and I'm i'm just delighted to <laughs> To find another independent content creator that I feel is as passionate about the sport and the people we support and the action on track
4: as we are. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Chris, Matt. Nice to meet you. And hope to see you one day in real life. Lucas uh, Dagen. Dagen is spelled D
3: E G E N. uh, But the links to that will be in the show notes below. I hope people will follow you. And I hope our Dutch listeners will make you their second favorite podcast. We don't want to lose any of our. The, the Dutch listeners. I'm surprised any Dutch people listen to us at all, but uh, but apparently we have a few. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Thanks for joining us. Follow Matt. He's all right at Matt Pete. Probably the second best one, Matt. If I'm honest.
2: Uh, I and I make the occasional video just for fun. Yeah, on our Twitter,
3: uh, we retweeted it from at Miss Apex F1. You made a video about the gap that Alonso made during the 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 non the non parade lap parade lap. And also you made, right. a, you made a Maldonado Zone overtaking video as well.
2: Yes, uh, based on Vettel's comments in the uh, post-race where he, he seemed slightly embarrassed to have called it a Maldonado gap. But <laughs> I knew instantly what he meant, so I figured I'd just illustrate it for fun.
3: It was very good. So go and follow Matt at MattPT55. Search for Matt Trumpets on Facebook as well. Please consider supporting everything we do here. We are only here because of our patrons at Apex F one
0: and of course, on the Missed Apex Motorsport YouTube channel, we have the final round of the Missed Apex iRacing F3 Cup, which was an absolute doozy, if I it do was, say so It was. It was really good. So check that out.
3: Yeah, let's link to that in the show notes below as well. I messed up my Patreon link because Chris was waving to get my attention. It's patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And Matt's distracting me with something as well.
2: Uh, certainly wouldn't be, uh, you know, that oh. the word we occasionally give out. Uh, let's go for it comment of
3: the week okay matt i'm restricting you to three candidates for comment of the week go
2: one chris fun nope. today's episode he can't i said he can't win because he fine did you say he can't win no we'll today's episode <laughs> quote we're not ham look i have a dutch friend <gasps> oh no no he didn't do that to us I definitely can't win. Second, second candidate, please. Our friend Jeff G. uh, In exploring the hypotheticals, if ifs were a fifth, we'd all be drunk. A fifth of gin? Is it gin that's measured in fifths? Uh, Any spirit. All all alcohol bottles are generally called fifths for reasons I don't understand. I I wouldn't know. This is coffee in this mug. And finally, our friend Stuart Neal. Three-hour podcasts. We can only dream of this type of short-form podcast. I'm completely I'm completely stuck on
3: this. Fonseca, I feel amazingly seen, yes. Yes, we did bring a token Dutch Max Verstappen fan. We can't deny that. That doesn't mean he has to win comment of the week, though, Matt. Who's the winner?
2: Well, I think... Uh, I'm going to go with our friend Jeff G. If ifs were a fifth, we'd all be drunk, because that seems like a very true statement somehow. Comment of the
3: Now for something completely different. Okay, guys, uh, now I want to uh, introduce you to my new friend who I made because of you guys. So I asked you guys which podcasts out there I should reach out and do cross-promotion with because in podcast land... There is literally 800,000 podcasts and more. It's hard to know which one you should be tuning into. And it's always nice to have a recommendation. And one podcast that you guys recommended to me was the Terrible Lizards podcast. And now I am absolutely hooked. Uh, So joining me on the show in the shed is Izzy Lawrence. Hello, Izzy.
1: Rar! That was uh, Terrible Lizards. Hello. Hello.
3: Is that <laughs> what you do on your podcast?
1: We do. We, we say rawr, um at the end of every episode, unless it's about pterosaurs, which aren't dinosaurs, technically, because Terrible Lizards is a podcast about dinosaurs. Dinosaur means terrible lizard. And, uh, yeah, pterosaurs are not dinosaurs, in which case we go... <laughs> so, you know, that's... Uh, that's, and, that, that's
3: and that's the kind of thing you can learn on grown Terrible adults. On I'm a t- fully
1: grown adult, yes, But exactly. when
3: you were kind enough to invite me on the Terrible Lizards yeah. podcast, I felt very out of place because you had fantastic people such as uh, Richard Harrington and, and proper scientists on there uh, we compared formula 1 noises and you've got a really good formula 1 noise uh, i used to yeah.
1: i used to do the my formula 1 noise i think to try and get a boys to kiss me when i was about 14 it didn't work
3: it didn't work but
1: it was no of course not it the was... di- how
3: did the dinosaur <laughs> did you have more luck the with dinosaur
1: the... again what was... no? <laughs> Doesn't really no do much. That wasn't a Formula One noise, unless it's going very wrong. That that would be you know, clipping the apex and skidding. No, that no, that would no. So uh, Formula
3: One noise. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> right, prepare well, well, yourself. Shall I do mine first so yeah, that we you do get? So let, let's do a baseline. So so mine yeah. is. That's that's gung,
1: better gung, than gung, the gung, one gung, you gung, did gung, before. Gung, gung, oh no! Oh, oh
3: I've got gung, the gear gung, changes gung, down there.
1: as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah. nice. I've got so, okay. So you have to understand, this is circa sort of uh, 90,000s. I mean, maybe F197s, maybe. V12, V10. Yeah, so that's something that
2: says...
3: (laughs) That sort of thing. My only issue with that was the first sound sounded like Valtteri Bottas leaving the pit box, and then the rest sounded like high-speed corners. That's all. That's my only... I mean.
1: I've, jumped, I've just jumped. I'm watching. You're in the pits and watching, like, and everybody getting overtaken as they're coming round. Right,
3: you did the whole it's TV of, broadcast.
1: I'd like to imagine that I'm on one of the the, the sidelines at Hockenheim, the old sort of really long track. It's like.
3: OK, we should say that the reason he <laughs> has such a, a knowledge of the workings of uh, a Formula One engine and gearbox <laughs> is because you actually have had a couple of stints working in, uh, was it the gearbox bay at Renault?
1: It was, It well, yeah, no doubt, no, we're going to, right, it was the gearbox shop. The gearbox okay. shop. And okay. also, I did, I did work for a little bit. I had a few days in the composite shop as well, but the gearbox shop at Benetton, before it was oh, ran This is how hello. old we're going. We're going into the distant, you know, I present a podcast about dinosaurs. We're going into the deep, distant past.
3: Yeah, but I know. I'm gonna, I, I don't know those, those days, so you'll have yeah. to tell, tell, tell us about the olden days, Izzy.
1: Oh, it was lovely. I mean, there's a massive controversy because they were thinking they'd just put the grooves in the tyres. And this was, oh, my goodness, the, the the dilemma and the oh the disasters. So this is the time when I was a massive F1 fan. So I was a teenage girl. Um, and you have to imagine as a teenage girl, I, because at the moment I'm massive. I don't know if you can tell how massive I am. I'm about, well, I am six foot. I'm not about six foot. I'm huge. And I Are was you six this- foot? I'm six foot and I was this size when I was about 14 but didn't have the boobs yet right. so it was a bad look anyway uh, and so I didn't have many friends or boyfriends or anything like that so what I did was I got really into F1 and I, so much so that I didn't do Duke of Edinburgh or anything like that because I interrupted you know I couldn't I couldn't go for a long walk with my mates if you know Imola was on so you know you have to you know nice go dedication and, Exactly. I, I went to Spa-Francorchamps for a Grand Prix. I saw that. That was amazing. With the um, team but... or on your own? No, on my oh, own. Oh. This, was, this was on my own. But I did get drunk before it was legal to. Don't do that, kids. It's bad. Anyway, uh, so, I, 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 uh, yeah, so I was a big F1 fan and I was living. My mother lived in Whitney which is you know, basically Oxfordshire, Cotswold, the area. And of course, it is surrounded by F1 teams. So as a very naughty, precocious teenager, who, to be fair, was the size of Christopher Lee and looking a lot like Christopher Lee at the time, uh, walked into a pub, they they didn't sort of look at me and go, you're under the age of 18, so I could get a pint. And this is what I would do. And of course, the people in these pubs were the teams people yeah. they were the teams they were the guys who did the pit crews and everything else. so I would chat to them they'd just go oh yeah and um you know and also may I add I was completely they were not hitting on me in any way this is just normal chatting in pub type stuff and yeah and one of them mentioned that he worked at Enston and I was like Enston oh, oh that's Benetton that's Benetton. I really like yeah. Benetton. Benetton won the championship a few years ago because Michael Schumacher did oh, you ah. did
3: you tell that person all the things you knew about F1 very quickly all at once
1: possibly to try and impress
3: them yeah. I
1: think at the time I was drinking like Bacardi breezes so you know you're not was...
3: a good role model just talking no. to strange men in pubs underage much. whilst drinking
1: well my mother encouraged me and I had my GCSEs to do anyway okay. my so... daughter listens to this podcast <laughs> so just the
3: opposite of Izzy please Vivi opposite exactly of this. Yeah.
1: but what happened was what happened was um he basically gave me a name to write to, to say, because I had to do work experience and that's the thing. They make you at school. And so I said, oh, my God, if I could get in here. And I got into – so this is the tail end of um, uh, 1998. And so I wrote to them. And they said, yeah, come work with us for a week. And so I went and I got to experience everything then. I went into the composite shop. I went into the gearbox shop. um, I did – The wind tunnel. They've got a mini wind tunnel.
3: tell me about the wind tunnel. What's that like? Because I can't visualise that in my head.
1: Okay, so the wind tunnel, you go into this um, big it's basically a warehouse and inside is what looks like a sort of like the world's smallest hadron collider this is you know it's it's basically like a like um some you know the tubes that come out your toilet it looks a bit like that but in a sort of sort of jaggedy circle and it's huge and the thing is all right when i'm in there the whole thing cuz the, the, the trouble with this thing is it's it's so small it doesn't work particularly well it was a lot of investment and it's not ideal they have to put in smaller models in yeah. to get the air Flow to you know to get the results which is really annoying and it was really annoying to them and i could tell that everybody was still angry about it but what was brilliant and what was really funny yeah. is that the noise this thing emits this low hum this sort of hum has attracted every single male blue bottle fly from about a three-mile radius, and so they all come in and then they probably die on top of this. So you've got to imagine, this is state-of-the-art technology and it was covered in dead flies, (laughs) horny, dying male flies trying to have... With it it was amazing so this is this is my okay. impression of uh of okay. uh, benison at the time i'm sure now they've been taken over by Renault. they're far more superior and they've got everything together but benison was charming
3: too many jokes too many jokes don't <laughs> don't say any of them don't say any of them oh, that is that is brilliant so if there's any women out there uh, looking to get into motorsport uh, don't copy what izzy said because, no
1: don't do don't um, do what i did
3: but there is a big push now for more diversity in motorsport and a lot of the teams are really working hard to highlight hey um you know, we've got women working here and it's not just in HR. They are in, you know, they're in the strategy. We've got women on the pit wall. Uh, But at that time, it would have been a very male-orientated, dominated environment.
1: Yeah, Uh, and it was. I mean, I was... But the thing is... It was it was bad at, at the time. It still is bad. I mean, there is physical logistics. I mean, if you want to work on the pit team, you have yeah. to be incredibly strong. Not saying that women can't be incredibly strong, but it, you have to put in a lot of work before you can get to the same basic level you're, of strength that you're a man six can. Six
3: foot, you've got massive levers. You're all right. You
1: think, wouldn't you, blokes? So I go to the gym, right, and I'm just like work really hard to deadlift a hundred kilos, and then a guy who's been there for three weeks just picks it up, and you're just like. I hate, you. I hate I hate you so much but on the other hand it's not like I'd I'd want
3: to be you cuz that'd be that'd wow. be terrible wow well I'm going to try to not take that personally <laughs> but I know you you had actually several uh, uh liaisons with F1 teams and eventually yeah. did have like paid roles and stuff I, I'm just wondering you know as a, a minion as an mm. NPC as a non-playable character Oh, yeah. We we always describe those guys as you know as Derek. You know Derek, Derek on the left. Jacks had a bad day there. Yeah. Oh, what's Janet in the aerotunnel going to think about the flappy <laughs> bendy wings? Um, so I think we, we can have Izzy now. We can Izzy. Yeah. You can sub in and be our Thanks. Derek. But how yeah. how close do you actually get to like the superstars in the team? You know, was, uh, was, was, um, who, was it, who was it at the time? The drivers there, did you say? The drivers, um,
1: Shankarla Fisichella. Oh, Fisichella. Yeah, yeah. And mm. um, Alexander Wirtz. Nice. Of course, Were they
3: in there constantly going, hey Izzy, how's the gearbox work going?
1: They worked basically the way the team worked at the time, I don't know how they still do it, but they had a test team and they had the race team. So I was working with the test team. Um, I was, you know, helping put together bits of gearbox. that sort of thing. I did, like I say, work in composites as well. And my favourite thing was I was working on one of the cars and this must have been, uh, it, must, it must have, I can't it must have been 99 Spa-Francorchamps when it was a really weird, you had a really weird start to it. So it had been raining heavily during qualifying and as a result, Jean Alessi, in a Sauber, was on pole. And, like, Fisichella was either second or third in a Renault. And like the McLarens were way down the back and the Ferraris were way down the back and everyone's like, what's going on? Oh my goodness, it's going to be crazy. And it was particularly <laughs> crazy. And and Giancarlo Fisichella, I think, led for a few laps. And then Jean Lacey, um just tried to overtake him on a really sort of like tight hairpin and just cut across him. And Giancarlo Fisichella, you saw from the in-car camera, him just slam into the side T- of Jean T- Lacey because Exactly, he just didn't give him any space. It wasn't the pretty Italian. You always farthest. have to leave a space. Well, exactly, you have yeah. to. Anyway, so um, um, and basically the um wishbones that I made personally, I saw wow. smashing into a thousand pieces. <laughs> On television, and I was just like, "Yes, I mean, this is really bad for my team, but yes."
3: <laughs> but I'm on telly, but basically. I'm on
1: telly. I made that. See the why that's fracturing there? It was probably a bit of dust that I left in there. So I mean... that was the weakness that I made.
3: <laughs> my background is a support engineer as well, so I'm always thinking about the derricks and the Izzies on there, wondering, mm. you know, do they get emotional about their contribution to the race result, or like, you know, if you know your part has made a difference, or if the commentators are going, "Oh, the Benetton suspension handling the curb was much better than the yeah. others. You go, my be, suspension.
1: Drivers get all the credit and blame mainly. I think that's yeah. the that's the general rule. It's like, why isn't that going in just like, because well, I didn't <laughs> on that thing correctly. No, um, it's, it's always, you know, it's a great surprise to people who know nothing about motor racing when you sort of say to them, yeah, the driver really can't drive this car any faster than they're already going. There isn't that much, I mean, human skill yeah. is very it's a tiny part of the phrase you know, that
3: does my head in on commentary yeah. is he's really out driving that car no he isn't there's a physical <laughs> limit to what that car can do uh, anyway yeah. I, I, I want to ask sorry we've taken a lot of your time it's been absolutely That's wonderful cool. talking to you Very is, happy. It, is it as glamorous as people think when they're wanting to enter yeah. the world of f1
1: all right literally it's amazing it's so good i remember one of the one of my first days though the guy like the guys because the way it works is you've got the engineers who work above you so you're in the shop below and you're yeah. putting everything together and they're sort of saying oh can we try this can we do that so we we're doing different type of basically flaps to let the oil get in there's different types of valves and so we made this little valve that they designed we put it on and we could see that this wouldn't work from when we started oh, I've been and there. we sent a little message up I've just going there. guys yeah guys this isn't going to work and they came oh, and we were just like, and I was like, why don't we just do it the way we do it? And then they'll be really impressed. And then we can tell them they're like, not us learn to do that. But I'll tell you what we will do. And they um, they basically um, just ordered in a load of more rubber already before they could do the things so we could make more flaps. Because we knew <laughs> we were wasting time. But I I'll yep. tell you, I tell you, the most unglamorous thing that happened was when I was there. I think it was ninety nine. Um, I was there over winter, and the um, there's a big all the gearbox stuff comes in a gel, so it's to stop it all eroding. It's made um, from metals which corrode really easily, so that it comes in this gel. You can't just scrub that off. You've got to dip it in an acid bath to stop. And there's a boiling vat of acid in the corner of the shop, so you've got to like get a your wizard. You're like thermal. wizards dog rings, that's so the thing, and put them in this sort of like, you know, vat of acid and let them bubble. Now what had happened was the coolant for the acid bath had frozen. So the acid bath had begun bubbling and then it decided to carry on bubbling and nothing could switch it off because the water pressure in it had just stopped because it was so frozen solid. Mm. And as a result, the acid bath um, boiled down to absolutely nothing. And basically set a light and everything in it. So one of my jobs uh was to scrub physically and see if we could, you know, try and use any of the oh. gear that we'd left in there to be cleaned. And yeah, that was that was glamorous, that was that was me covered in gunk, uh, for quite a while. But, but you must you know, have got that's...
3: some invites to the ball to make up for it.
1: You'd think, but
3: no, nope. no, okay. no,
1: no, no invites to the ball. But, you know, it's quite, you know, I did see Dave Richards. I did see Giancarlo Fiskiller. Nice. I did see Alex Virts working around a couple of, you know, it, it was the thing, like, I've seen you in a magazine. <laughs> I, yeah, I've seen you in autosports, leaning against a wall, looking bored. Oh. You know, it was quite exciting for that sort of reason. And, yeah, and... Part of the reason why I loved motor racing in, in general was that sort of soap opera with a random number generator behind it. I love the stories about the drivers. I love this sort of, you know, part of it. And so being able to meet and see the drivers is really cool.
3: And, and just, just finally, what is it that made you go, I don't want to be covered in acid gunk. I'm going to be a successful <laughs> presenter, comedian and author instead.
1: Honestly, it was I really liked working on the shop floor, but I wanted to do what they were doing above. And I wasn't good at physics. (laughs) So it was that thing of just basically going, do I want to, if I'm really passionate about this and I really want to make a go of it, I'm probably not going to be strong enough to be on the race team. Um, And it is quite a laddie atmosphere. And so I thought being an engineer would be great. And I just, I tried, but my brain just can't, you know, physics it's hard and maths is hard and i just thought and to be honest i had this natural skill for like history and writing so i was getting like top marks in my you know i wasn't even trying in english and history and i was getting top marks and so it's obvious the way that um my brain was going yeah yeah, it's it's, it's like
3: my dad told me he used to say to me he used to say you know if if things are difficult quit and find something you're better at and that's that's how there's no point
1: in swimming against a hard stream when you can just go hey i can earn money by showing off (laughs)
3: Well, this has been a wonderfully uh, fortuitous coincidence uh, that we've been able to do some cross-promo. and Thank you you for letting me plug Mist Apex on Terrible Lizards. Uh, And I really, really do recommend. I genuinely am addicted to your podcast now. You and your angry host, Dave. Talking about dinosaurs, <laughs>
1: I love the fact that he comes. He's angry to you too. That's brilliant.
3: Yeah, I know. But
1: there is a lot of crossover stuff. I mean, Dave will tell you. Like we learn, you know, he is approached by engineers. to go, okay, so how did pterosaurs fly then? And how was they? Do-? And you'd see, there's actually been engineering done using the physics that they've understood from dinosaur structural skeletons maybe so
3: some f1 team it, should go to dave and just be like exactly how did a t-rex run fast can we make our suspension do that oh no we can't this has no. been a waste of time
1: but but the fact that a lot of suspension suspension is hollow and, and it is hollow carbon fiber dinosaurs are pneumatic so the fact that they have hollow bones is, you know, it's same things with birds and everything else. It makes them lighter so they can go faster and they don't use as much energy, which is exactly what a Formula One car does.
3: I have to say, I thought I mostly knew about dinosaurs and that's just because that was done in Kruger. You know, stupid people don't know they're stupid. Um, But listening to your podcast, every single little thing like that, oh, we talk about a bone, oh, it's hollow, it does this. It goes down in like these threads of depths of things you never knew you didn't know. So I'm learning so many unknown unknowns um, if you like a relaxed podcast to listen to with experts and laughs, please, please go and check out Easy Lawrence on a, the Terrible Lizards podcast. Is there a the? Yeah,
1: no, there isn't a the, no, but the. it's okay. fine. You'll find this if you go to Terrible Lizards. Um, if you want to find out, it's TerribleLizards.co.uk, or you can just find out more about me. I do lots of podcasts, and it's ISZI.com.
3: Well, yeah, you're like proper telly famous.
1: Oh yeah, a little bit. Netflix,
3: Lost Pirate Kingdom. Go
1: <laughs> that's check on me telly. out. Uh, yeah, all that's the on links
3: telly. to all of uh, Izzy's stuff and to, to Terrible Lizards podcast will be in the show notes below. Izzy Lawrence, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you very much.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That was fun. It really was fun and I do definitely recommend you go and check out the Terrible Lizards podcast. Thank you very much for hanging out with us this first half of the Formula One season. We've got an an awful lot of of new listeners, so I really want to say thank you for joining us on this journey through the Formula One season. And, you know, we, we claim no particular expertise when it's just me and Matt and the guys on, but we do try and find you communicators. So, for example, Chris Stevens, who is on today, he works in, in PR and he was a motorsport journalist. Matt will tell you he was an accredited FIA journalist as well. One race, Matt. One race. But he has been a blogger and a communicator in F1 this uh, for, for years now, since like 2012, I think. In the summer break, we're going to bring you some more communicators because we're going to split the next two shows up between some, some pre-recorded segments. So we're going to have a driver special where we're going to bring on the more racing-orientated guys, the driver-orientated guys, to do two parts of a driver special where we're going to talk about the different challenging conditions that drivers have to face and what to do in those situations. So Brad Philpott is Nord Schleifer-class champion. Kyle Power and uh, Alex Van Gene are very accomplished carters and sim racers as well and uh, kyle goes and does any kind of single seater stuff whenever he gets an opportunity to do so so that should be great you know we'll talk about what to do when you're stuck behind a car how to adjust when you're in a downforce scenario and you and you have to drive the car without downforce as temperature changes for example how to drive when you've got damage what might change about the car so we're going to record that tomorrow night and we're going to split it over two weeks the second half of each of the next two shows is going to be a a tech special, and even those of you who are not massive tech fans, I suggest you tune in for this because Matt is going to be hosting two segments with Summers F1, our tech guy, and Craig Scarborough, Scarbs F1 as well. So that is going to be one not to miss. They're going to be talking through the twenty twenty two regulations and and I think that is going to be an epic tech section I'm going to be producing that so you don't don't worry so that's half an hour per week without having to, to listen to me that's worth listening alone surely I'm going to be silently producing that as well and as I said thank you very much for joining us on this uh, first half of the 2021 season we've got an incredible season up ahead I don't think I don't think it's going to let up <laughs> this battle between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton I think it's only going to intensify We realize you have a choice when you listen to F1 Podcasts. Thank you for listening to us. Wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr Apex Podcast.